what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. Chris Fry and Alan Jackson here with you from the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how's it going? Good to see you. It is long time no see. I know it's going really well. We tried our new format and now I think we're going to continue doing it. So so. instead of you and I just getting together every two weeks and having to sit down and talk, now we're having to do this on a much more frequent basis. So uh, we just have to get a little bit more comfortable with uh, getting together and recording this since it's happening more often. But uh, I think weekly is good. Keeps us on a good schedule. Sure. I think so. We're good with that. And plus what that means is like we said last time, we're just going to be reviewing one film uh, every time we get together, talking about a, a relatively new film for a review, then we'll switch over and sometimes we're going to throw out some movie news. This particular episode, we're going to do some recommendations. We're going to kind of share some movie recommendations that we think are worth checking out that maybe uh, you're not aware of or might have passed you by at some point. But first off, we do have a review of a film we want to get into, and that is going to be the latest film. Well, I won't say latest. This is actually his first film directing and writing by actor-comedian Ray Romano and also starring Laurie Metcalf. The film's called Somewhere in Queens. So we'll be reviewing that film. Then we'll do a break and go into our recommendations for the episode. So, Chris, does sound good to you? Yes. Sound like something we can get started with? Let's go to Queens. All right, we're going to Queens. Here we are, Somewhere in Queens. Your kid, he had a good game. Where's he going to college? No, he's coming to work for us, a family business, construction. I'm a scout. If you want me to make a few phone calls, there might be a hole here or there. Some of those holes have scholarships. Who let the dog out? Who? You know, that's 20 years ago. I told him we should use uh, Ain't Gonna Be No Rematch. At the end of Rocky. That's 40 years ago. Who's this, Sticks? Oh, this is Danny. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah. Do not like her. Don't be mean in front of her. She don't know us yet. Come to dinner Sunday, 12 o'clock. Dinner at 12. Actor, comedian Ray Romano wrote, directed, and stars in the new film Somewhere in Queens. We've always heard the phrase, write what you know. And after all those years on Everybody Loves Raymond, it seems Romano did exactly that, with the exception he had the freedom to drop as many F-bombs as he wanted, since it wasn't going to be on broadcast TV. Alan, what was your experience with uh, Ray Romano's first directorial film? Um, I, it was good. I mean, no, look, it, it, I do think this is a, a quote, good movie. Okay. And I'm using the word good instead of any other adjective, because I do think, I think it's a fairly pedestrian film in that I feel like it's pretty straightforward with a few exceptions. I'm going to give it some credit for a few things. I think it does that kind of. I thought we were a little daring and thought a little good, better than I expected from a a, a stereotypical film like this. But it is a film that's primarily based around uh, an Italian-American couple and their family 
which right away kind of builds an opportunity for the Italian-American uh, stereotype. Got you. Again, I, I trust the film a little bit more because it is Ray Romano who wrote and directed it, so he is kind of portraying the family around him in the way that he feels like should be portrayed. It did feel like it was kind of dipping into cliches at times, but whether that was accurate cliches or whether it was just kind of a little played up for the movie audience, I'm not sure. But... Yeah, this is a movie. It was, it was, it was funny. It was uh, sentimental. It was, it, it was uh, affecting. I think it worked, um, but it was also fairly uh, low key, pretty like a pedestrian is the word I'm going to use. I, I don't think it. I don't think Ray Romano's destined to be a outstanding director. There was nothing visually with the film that was at all interesting. Okay. I think don't think there was anything from a storytelling standpoint that was also very creative or interesting. It's it's pretty much what you expect it to be. It is a very very straightforward film. You've got a, a, a husband and wife. They have a son. The son um, is kind of destined to be in the family business, you know, long term. But yet they realize he's also really good at basketball, and there's an ch- opportunity now for him to maybe go to college and play. And Ray Romano is the, is the guy in the middle, the father who wants his son to succeed. He wants to live vicariously through his son. Um, but he's also got a family that kind of expects everybody in the family to go down a certain path and to have a certain life. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's, a, there's not, wasn't tons of weight here. Not, not, not a lot of, not tons of meat on the bone for this kind of film, but I do think what it does, it does, it does well. Um, boy, this is the most lukewarm review I can well, possibly give. Here's, here's the thing. It, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. No, help, help me out here. I'll jump in. Yeah. yeah. I, so I hear what you're saying. And instead of saying you're completely wrong, I'll say that going into the film, I knew this was Ray Romano's first film. And I kind of thought it was going to have a lot of, you know, forced comedy around the Italian-American stereotype kind of thing. And then it was going to have a little bit of drama just so – it would have something going on in the film. So you thought it was going to lean more into the comedy side. I did. And I think if I think I liked this film and I think because I expected it to be more, I guess, stereotypical or more Mm. pedestrian, as you were saying, I was kind of impressed with some of the things that it did do. And that's what made it kind of elevated over what I thought it was going to be. So expectations kind of flipped on me. I kind of went in with low expectations and it flipped and I'll give some examples of what I'm talking about. Uh, the wife's illness, the wife played by Lori Metcalf, she, like the way she is depicted is kind of tough. Mm-hmm. And she, for those familiar with her, she was in a lady bird and she played kind of a hard edged mom in that. Um, so she kind of carries that over a little bit, but just the nuances she brings to this character that has, is a cancer survivor, but the, for lack of better term, like the scars and stuff that experience left on her is it's it's in the film and it's not just kind of mentioned and then sidelined. No, it's it's a thread that runs through um, the thread that runs through the film of Ray Romano living in the shadow of his brother Frank, mm-hmm. and kind of how that then informs the whole thread that runs through the movie of a parent wanting something more for their child than the child wants for themselves. Yeah. Me being a parent <laughs> kind of hits home a lot of times where you sure. want these things, but you have to let your kids kind of do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that all that worked together with me or for me in ways that 
I think a more standard film that was just going for laughs, let's say that was just going for that wouldn't have worked as well. No, I, I admired the fact that this was more drama than it was comedy, which I, I also did not expect. Um, and I think the moments that are meant to hit us, they hit us really well. I'm like you, I'm, I'm, I'm a parent. I've got all boys. This is a very much a father son dynamics film that's explored. And I think those moments are handled extremely well. I like the fact that the main character we're following here, the Ray Romano is not the hero character at all. Actually, he's kind of a sad sack of a character that, you know, you, 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 like you said, it's the whole idea of living vicariously through your child or wanting to, you want something for your child basically because you want it for yourself. Right. And I think that was admirable to kind of take that kind of position and make a craft a story around that and not let, him be the hero at any point in the film. He's, he's my the only thing I'll comment on the things you mentioned that sure. I do agree. I think the, some of the other storylines that were being woven in uh, the wife's illness. And then there's also the whole dynamic of Ray's character against his own brother and father. Yes. I liked where the film wanted to go with both of those. I don't feel like the film did enough with either of those. Mm. It gave you just enough of a taste to know what was happening in that side of the world. I wish it had done more to inform me about Ray. Uh, what is Ray Romano's character's name? What his name is, is Leo. Leo. I wish it helped me form a little bit more about Leo. Okay. I had to do a lot of assumptions and guessing about, well, okay, I think. I think maybe I'm going to assume that Leo is this type of person because of the way I'm seeing him act with his father. I think the film could have done a little more with those, those other storylines to inform me more about who Leo is as a person. Otherwise all I saw Leo as is he's got in in a job that you kind of get the impression he doesn't really care about his job or doesn't really have any passion for it. Sure. And he's got a son who he wants to see succeed, but he loves his success because it's also attention back for him. I feel like there's a lot more to, to mill within there that I don't feel like we got into. Um, so that's why I kind of feel like the film was just kind of, just kind of servicing the story the way it needed to and get us to the end point, which it did. And it was good in the way it did it. It could have been more. It could have been even, I think this could have been like a standout film if it had dug a little deeper into some of those other storylines and fed us and gave us more of a complete character in Leo. But instead, I feel like we just got Ray Romano playing the, the um, what was the show he used to do? Everybody Loves Raymond. Everybody Loves Raymond. Just an, an, a, a heightened, more dramatic version of that character. And that's how I kind of felt like we got at the end of the day. It's like it was a sitcom episode wanting to be and mostly succeeding in being a a a, a an award winning drama. It just so you're saying it's like a feature film version of a t- episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, but with a definitely a more a more dramatic slant to it. But right. it just never quite got. I, I think it just needed to go a few more steps of the storytelling and the character development to get it to that point of saying this is a really good movie. I think it was good in that I enjoyed it. Look, it got me a couple times emotionally. I think there's some nice father son moments that kind of spoke to me. I did really like the relationship between Leo and his wife. I thought they had a really interesting dynamic that I think was loving, but also you could tell these people have been together a really long time and they know each other extremely well. Um, Yeah. 
The two people I will call out that I don't think are probably have even really mentioned in this review are the two young, the young people. Sticks. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so the son played by, um, oh, where's his? Hold on. I'm trying to get his act. The, I want to get the actor's name right. Sure. Before sure. we go forward. Um, it is. Oh, boy. Where well, is the, the girl. Yeah, I know the girl. Danny, okay. Danny Brooks is played by Sadie Stanley. Right. But I'm, I'm having a hard time finding the son. Oh, Jacob Ward. There we go. Jacob Ward playing uh, Matthew or Sticks, as they call him in the film. These two actually carry a good bit of the storyline, a good bit of the drama that more than I expected to. And I thought they were both really good. I mean, I really liked well, their their time together. I kind of enjoyed seeing their dynamic. To see a young couple, you know, high school graduating senior couple kind of at crossroads of their lives. And, you know, it was a pretty open, honest relationship. And the way it turned about halfway through the film, I'm like, well, yeah, I get it. That's believable. And I think they sold it. So anyway, what what I was going to say when I'm talking, I kind of talked about some of the threads that I appreciated in the movie that kind of elevated it above something just standard. And I'll say that some examples of things that impressed me that could have gone much more Hollywood, but they didn't. And one was at the beginning, you know, this young man is good at basketball. You think, okay, this is going somewhere. There's a slow-mo basketball shot towards the end of the game. I'm like, oh, great. And we know where this is going. And nope. (laughs) It actually Mm -hmm. kind of subverts a little bit. And I was like, okay. And from that moment on, I was like, okay. I think Romano is going to do a little bit more here than just your standard Um, sticks relationship with his girlfriend and how that was unexpected. And it actually Mm -hmm. shifted into a different gear quicker than I thought it was going to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it actually, yeah, I, I admired it for what it did with that relationship and marted a little bit more what they continued to do with that relationship yeah. at that point. It, went, it yeah. was like in first gear, yeah. and then it goes to second gear, and then it goes to a third gear, and you're like, okay. <laughs> so there's, there's, yeah, some interesting things going on there that I was not mm-hmm. expecting in yep. this film. I'll say, too, you um, called out Jacob Ward playing the son. At the beginning, you know, he's this quiet guy, and he's playing basketball, but I was – he was so over or outshone by his girlfriend that I was kind of like, yeah, he's not really giving me much, but that was really the character because his evolution that Mm -hmm. he does and how he stands against some things that happen in the film. And then where he ends up, I'm like, okay, Jacob Wood or Jacob Ward, you got me Mm -hmm. because at the beginning I was like, yeah, he's just kind of playing the mopey quiet teenager, but no, it's like, no, there's, there's more there than that. And I really, appreciate his development. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think Ray Romano got these characters, right? The ones I felt like were a little underdeveloped or I just, you know, I don't really know what they wanted to do with these other than just have them play bit parts to uh, accentuate the fact that, Hey, remember just in case you forgot, we're an Italian American family, <laughs> you know, there's the brother who, oh, and I'll say interesting yeah. thing about, oh, let me talk about the brother a little bit played by Sebastian Maniscalco, who's mm-hmm. Frank. Interesting. He has a film out right now Yeah, that's in, I think it may still be in movie theaters <coughs> where it's also kind of taken on the Italian family type thing. And so about my father Yeah, where um, that appears, have not seen it yet, 
but it appears to be much more of a straightforward comedy. Seems um, to be, yeah. So it's, but it's you've got interesting. him as, as Frank the brother, and again, I mean, I think there's some there's a few moments where you start to pick up a little dynamics of the relationship between the brothers. Yeah, but it it, it just doesn't go any any further than that than just hinting. The father, you know, uh, played by, oh gosh, it's still going to be horrible on the names here. <laughs> um, oh, Pops. Well, uh, Tony Tony LaBianco, La Dominico, Pops Russo. Again, you get hints at a dynamic of a relationship, but I just, I kind of just wish it's like, oh, you could just go a little deeper with this. Give me a little more about this dynamic, this relationship. You know, uh, you get the impression that, that Leo is the, Awkward, one of the sons. There seems to be another family. I don't know who Petey is. Petey is like another guy in the crew. Which I liked him. And yeah, I wasn't clear, but we weren't on, clear whether, who he is. on whether he was an actual brother or whether he was kind of friend that was part of the family just because he works well, in the business. That's, that's one of the issues I had with the film is I late see. in the film, the film goes down some very cliche family drama roles or, or, or paths that I, I, I wish it didn't. And one of them had to do with, okay, we come to a point again, just there's a little bit of a buildup towards a point at a, one of the many parties that they're attending. They go to a lot of parties. They go to a lot of parties. There's one that's a kind of everything's building up and it all cumulates. Cum, cum, you get you're finished your big moment where right. everything's kind of being explored or everybody's understanding who's doing what. And then, so the Leo character leaves and he's drunk and he's going to walk home. He's kind of feels disgraced about things. Sure. And then you've got this PD guy who is part of the part of his work crew. He definitely works in the family business. And he's at all the parties. And he is all, but okay. we don't really know like what his other role is. Right. But then we're they kind of have a fight and they, you know, but then it's supposed to be a little bit more of a dramatic moment, the fact that they're kind of, he's there to help them. But I, I don't really understand why or why we should care. So it's like I felt like some things got thrown in just as like, oh, this would be good quote drama to add in if we do mm-hmm. this and it's like well now you gotta you gotta give me a little bit more to make this work hmm. the relationship between leo and his son i do feel like worked so that's why those moments did work for me when we we're supposed to feel something between them i just wish i got that with the rest of the characters as well so well and i think a lot of that comes from this is his first directorial debut ray romano yeah. uh first script that i'm aware of he's done and i feel like Something as simple, I understand what you're saying. Um, it didn't bother me in the moment, but I can see how hearing your comments, it could have been more effective if the scuffle was between him and Frank. Yeah. Um, something mm-hmm. that simple. And then, because right. we know, because we, we totally have an idea of the relationship with Frank. We're, we're hinted at the fact that there's some animosity or jealousy between yes. from Leo to his brother. Right. His brother seems to be the father's favorite. Right. So Leo seems to be a little put off. Again, it's all kind of hinted at and it's right. all kind of assumptions, but I, I felt like there's more you could have dug into there. And yeah, if I'm expecting it to be a skirmish and all that, yeah, <laughs> I want it to be between Leo and his brother. Cause that's where you're supposed to feel Leo's got some animosity with. And right. anyway, it, it was a little, uh, it, it just, it was trying to go down some cliche roads in a few places that I, I don't feel like it had to go. Hmm. And I felt like there were some great, interesting storyline nuggets that were touched on that I would have loved to have seen explored a little bit more it to really make us to make Leo a complete character. Yeah. True. Okay. Leo was just a little above a sitcom dad character. 
I see. Okay. And everybody else was kind of operating in a different. Yeah. Okay. But the Ray Romano Leo character, I still feel like was a, I'm just a few shades above a sitcom stereotype dad character. And there's a lot more there. I mean, you know, there's a lot more there from sure. the story, from the other things we saw hinted at. I just, I wish it was, I wish it was strong enough to have gone into those. So, um, <laughs> but you know, I, yes, first time directing, first time writing for someone who's been an actor and comedian all of his life. I mean, I thought it was, it was good. It was definitely better than I expected it was going to be. Uh, I like the tone better than I expect it to be. Not just a straight comedy, but to actually have a lot to say. I think it makes some interesting, daring. Uh, storytelling choices with the relationship between the two young people. And then also just uh, Leo and his son and kind of this idea of living, living vicariously through your children and the damage that can cause. So I thought that was, I thought it was some good messages and good storylines to, to, to cover there. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. And I'm, I'm interested to see what Romana does next. I think the first thing that I really, I'd seen Paddleton, but I think maybe the big sick came before that, where that was a, that was a big role for him in oh, the yeah. big sick. And I was like, wow. I mean, I, I never watched everybody loves rain, but I was aware of who he was and seeing him in the big sick. I was like, Whoa. Okay. He had the, a, he had the a guy's a, got some gravity. He there. had a supporting role in the, uh, the Irishman. Okay. Scorsese film as well. So too. yeah, yeah, he's, so I feel like he, you know, in his career now it's, I feel it feels weird for me to say, but I feel like in the film world, as opposed to TV, I feel like, he's got an interesting trajectory that I'm interested to see what he does next. And, you know, it is only June, but I feel like if Metcalf is not at least remembered come Oscar season as somebody who maybe wouldn't get a nomination for best supporting actress, but I mean, her work in this, I feel like is, it's pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Alan disagrees. She's good. No, she's good. She's fine. I've seen her better. I I thought, I thought Lady Bird was a much better role and, this one, I, I think it relies too much on her just saying really crass things at exactly the right moment. I don't know. I, I'm not as high on the performance as you are, but that's, that's fine. It, there's, it's good. It's good performance. Everybody played the roles well here. Um, just to kind of end up, I think, to kind of sum up for me, I, I did like this film. And, and, and the, endings, the ending scene is probably a perfect epitome of my feelings on this film. And I'm not going to spoil exactly what happens at the end of the film, but the last scene we have, there's a little bit of a buildup. It's a, it's on a campus. You've got the parents going somewhere and they're, they're meeting their son for a reason. It's kind of teasing you to make you think that they're going to go for one particular purpose to see their son doing something. And then you realize, nope, that's being a little subverted. They're actually there to see him do something else. And that something else is kind of, is tied in with a little bit of what we learned about this, the son earlier in the film. It's all really nice. It's all, <laughs> he used the kiss of death, but it's almost nice. Like it's, it was just almost too pat. Like I getting so cliche with it. The parents having to walk in right at the right moment, right before this happens. And uh, look, I got a little misty eyed when there's a certain uh, uh, interaction between the father and son at the very end. I'm like, yeah, okay. You got me with that. You got me. But it, I also know I was being a little manipulated, a little manipulated to get there. And I'm like, that just, it was very much, I think maybe, maybe having all the background in family sitcoms, mm-hmm. you kind of know those moments, how to build them up. And you kind of know the, the pathways you take an audience on to get there. Uh, it, 
It worked. It, look, it worked for our crowd at the Film Society screenings two nights in a row. Yeah, it did. And it mostly worked for me, but I, I wish the story had been, I wish the, the writing had been a little more confident to not feel the need to hit every one of those little cliche moments and convenient moments that I think the film relied on a lot. So, anyway. Mm. Okay. But overall, hey, look, Somewhere in Queens, I think it was a good movie. Yeah, it's worth seeing. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does next from a writing standpoint or a directing standpoint. I'm interested because I think once I liked it, but I think once if he's able to move away from some of the Italian American tropes that he dealt with, both in everybody loves Raymond and this film, it'll be interesting to see what he can do when he stretches his horizons. So, well, right now Ray Romano is not listed on IMDb as doing anything else directorial wise. Okay. don't know if this is a one and done situation for him, but I mean, I hope not. I think it's, I think, I think there was some good, some good gems in the film here that are worth, uh, worth celebrating and worth him doing some more with. So, all right. Well, that is somewhere in Queens. Uh, did not have much of a theatrical run, but it is available on, I think should be available on demand like pretty soon, pretty soon. Yeah. <clears throat> Probably within a month or so. I mean, it is playing some very limited number of theaters, but not a lot. Actually, um, no, you can watch it on Amazon on Prime, uh, Amazon Prime right now. Okay. Yep, it is available actually for purchase on uh, online. So video on demand as of the time of this recording, you can actually watch it. So um, the good and bad of the film uh, theater business these days is this is a, a fairly new film, but yet it's already available online, which unfortunately these films don't have much of an audience in theaters as much as they may be used to. Okay, Chris, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we've got some movie recommendations to share. I'm going to try something a little daring with my recommendation in a bit, just to tease. Okay. It is a half a recommendation. I'm recommending half of a film that I've seen, uh, but I'm now anxious to watch the other half, and we'll have to follow up with everybody what my thoughts are. So we both have recommendations to share. We'll get to those in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. We had our review of Somewhere in Queens at the first half of the show, where Chris and I were both came out positive on the film uh, Chris, maybe a little more so than me. I think maybe more of a playing against expectations. It was a good surprise. I wish that he, they had gone a little deeper into some of the, the storylines that they could have explored and made the film a little more a little more interesting, but overall still felt it to be um, a good, a good de- directorial debut and had some good emotional beats that they captured on it. Okay, but Chris, uh, enough with new films that we're reviewing. Let's 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 take some time to celebrate films that we've gotten to catch up with lately, or we want to recommend to people. This is where Chris and I both bring a film to the table as a recommendation can be something that maybe we just caught back up with recently. Maybe something that uh, is a new, a newer film that's available online that people may have overlooked or missed um, or any of the above. So Chris, I'm going to start it off with you. What film are you recommending for us this week? So I'm going to recommend director Kelly Freeman Craig's second film. She her debut was Edge of Seventeen, which I may have recommended on the show. I can't. can't Okay, I did. So this is her second film, 
and it is Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, which, if you recognize the title, I actually discussed this film when I recommended a documentary on the writer Judy Bloom, which I think Amazon basically put out because they were kind of promoting Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Um, this film, kind of like uh, Somewhere in Queens, came to the theater and went to the theater pretty quickly. I was able to see it in the theater, and I'm thankful for it um, because I'd heard a little bit of buzz around the person who plays Margaret in the film, Abby Ryder Fortson, as well as the person who plays her mom, Rachel McAdams. Both of them do give really strong performances in the film. It's a story about Margaret. Her family moves from the city to the suburbs, and 11-year-old Margaret navigates new friends' feelings in the beginning of adolescence. So kind of a, you know, a lot of films don't really focus on girls going through adolescence and maybe coming of age, but not specifically adolescence and then, you know, learning about their bodies. Of course, that's what Judy Bloom was famous for. So um, I, I recommended the film. I liked it. I will say uh, I'd heard a lot of other critics talk about it a lot, which made me interested to see it. But maybe I had my expectations up a little bit too much. It was maybe a little mm-hmm. overhyped, but I still think it's worth seeing and still worth seeing for those two performances too. And it is a smaller kind of a more independent film. So it is currently available for online rental. So I recommend, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. Okay. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. I remember us. Yeah. We did see the trailer for this. I think yeah, we, we, we played it during our top segment. It yeah. looked good. And I'm glad to hear that it did actually, uh, uh, turn out to be a pretty good film. So yeah, I was hoping they'd be able to pull off a good film adaptation of that book. Um, and I think it did, it did decent box office wise. I mean, again, in today's film theater world, you know, if it's not a Marvel DC movie or have dinosaurs or aliens, it's, it's a tough sell, (laughs) unfortunately. But, um, I think they did pretty well considering original things, which is based on a book, but just non-franchise films. Yeah. It's tough for them. Tough. Yeah. So Chris, as I tease from my recommendation, I'm it's a it's a weird one, but I'm recommending a partial recommendation of a film. Okay. Uh, so I was going to recommend one film, but then when I caught back up with it and uh, was very disappointed and upset at the some of the choices then that filmmaker had made at the end of their story um, that does not play very well here 20 years later. I'm not going to go into details because I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Can't, I, say, I did have a film all kind of picked out and ready to go, but I did not decide at the last minute. I did not want to recommend it because it's not worth recommending anymore. Gotcha. But I did catch up with half of a movie. <laughs> okay. So yeah. you're giving half a recommendation, half a recommendation. Okay. I started watching a film. And I am now so fascinated to see the rest of this film. That's usually a good time. Um, just because this movie is kind of bonkers. <laughs> and, oh, you're selling me on it. Kind of um, bonkers. I'll we'll just wait till I give you the, the rundown of the, the storyline. Okay. It is a 1959 film uh, titled Suddenly Last Summer. Suddenly, comma, Last Summer. This is directed by Joseph Mankiewicz, who Mankiewicz kind of a big name back at that time in in cinema. Uh, He had directed other films like Guys and Dolls. He directed All About Eve. He did many, many other films in that time period. Uh, And, of course, part of the Mankiewicz family of of film filmmakers at that time and writers. But the the film, this film was actually written by Tennessee Williams and Gore Vidal. Okay. Okay. So... 
It stars Elizabeth Taylor. I've heard of her. Catherine Hepburn. Heard of her as well. Montgomery Cliff. I've heard of him. Okay. Already, interesting actors. Yep. <clears throat> I'm kind of fascinated with all three of them to, to see what they're doing. Sure. I had just finished watching a Cat, uh, not a Cat on a Hot Tim Roof, uh, um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf again a few days ago, but I know I recommended that film several months ago, so I'm not going to do that one again. But I'm kind of, yeah, Elizabeth Taylor is pretty fascinating actress in this period of time. Okay, so here's the storyline. Um, I'm trying to think which one I want to read to you because there's one that's shorter and not as interesting and there's one that's a little more involved, <laughs> a little more fun. Let's do that one. Um, okay, here we go. So, uh, in the film Suddenly Last Summer, 1959, uh, we have Catherine Hepburn plays a wealthy woman who is using her money and her checkbook in the hopes of having her niece lobotomized. Wow. So... Hepburn plays Miss Venable, whose son, Sebastian, died the previous summer of a heart attack. However, her niece, Kathy, who accompanied Sebastian, had had sort of a mental breakdown and is now currently institutionalized. Mrs. Venable wants Kathy lobotomized. Got you. I'm following you so far, believe it or not. Before doing so, a surgeon, played by Montgomery Clift, is being sent there by his boss, because Mrs. Denable's dangling a lot of money in front of them that they could use to upgrade their hospital. Gotcha. Um, but instead, he now becomes determined to find out exactly what happened and how Sebastian really died. Wow. Um, it's a very character-driven... How could you stop this film halfway through? <laughs> because it was like midnight. Okay. And I was like super tired. I'm Fair like, enough. No, I've got to stay awake for this. Fair enough. Um, it is a it's a dialogue heavy film. I mean, there's a lot of interesting. I, I, the first half I saw, I was already kind of hooked. Okay, let's just say it this way: the film starts. There's a there's a whole scene where Montgomery Cliff, as a doctor, as a surgeon, is conducting brain surgery with students watching on the balcony above him as he does this. Sure, and because the hospital is so hard up for money, power is going out during this the operation. And things are going wrong, and there's like a piece of the balcony that's like breaking as the students are leaning so against is this, it. Is this, is this like in the genre of comedy? No, no, no. Okay. It's, it's being played serious. Okay, okay. But it is because some of the stuff you're saying, it I is could see over it could the be top. like a Mel Brooks like wacky yeah, well, thing. It seems like it would be, but it's all being played very seriously. So basically, his hospital's crumbling around him. So that's why he's like, they, they need money. So then it's like, okay, well, th- then here's this woman who's willing to pay a lot of money to a surgeon to come and lobotomize her niece so that her niece won't be traumatized by seeing the death of this uh, of her son. Although now there's some suspicions about exactly what happened with the son that caused that. Look, when, the, when Montgomery Cliff's doctor shows up at this woman's house, the Catherine Hepburn character's house, He's led into a gigantic, like, tropical garden almost outside, almost like in a big uh, glass enclosure. Hmm. And she is lowered down in, like, this little elevator type of thing. Nice. Like, down to the floor to meet him. I mean, right away, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is this is so wild. I'm loving yeah. this already. Now, again, I have not seen the second half of the film. Okay. So I don't know how it ends up. And it could be one of those films where when I get to the end, I'm like, okay, scratch it. Never mind. I do not want to recommend this film. <laughs> but I'm like, with the talent involved, the people involved, the writing involved, it's, I'm sure it's going to be good. But I'm already just so fascinated and intrigued by this. So, um, 
Montgomery Clift is an actor I'm a little intrigued by anyway. We did show the documentary Making Montgomery Clift so yes. a couple years ago at yes. one of our screenings. He's got an interesting history, interesting character on his own. So that's something that um, that intrigued me. Catherine Hepburn's always kind of captivating to watch on film. And like I said, after seeing uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf a, a few more times, Elizabeth Taylor, I'm always kind of fascinated by her performance as well. So suddenly last summer from 1959, I will be watching the latter half of it here in the next couple of days. So hopefully I don't have to come back and retract my recommendation, but uh, I'm not a big fan of films from this time period in general. Okay. I'm just not 1950s, 1940s and fifties films don't typically do a lot for me. I feel like a lot of them just feel like they're just stage stage performances that just happen to be recorded on film. And that doesn't always uh, entice me. However, this film already it's set up in its premise and the characters I've already met uh, does have my attention. So, we will see how it holds up on a final viewing, but that is my recommendation for now. Suddenly, last summer, I caught it on Turner Classic Movies, but I know you can rent it and watch it any other uh, place on demand as well. Yeah, it's it's got me uh, it's got me interested to try to see if I can track something down on that because yeah, sounds right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, very very interesting movie. Supposedly, the play that it's based on it was based on a play. And from what I've read, it's all just the original play, the Tennessee Williams play that it's based off of, um, had had a lot of topics that was touched on uh, regarding homosexuality and even cannibalism. But supposedly the cannibalism has been dropped or at least muted in the film version. Now that hearing that even if it's just muted has still got me very interested to see where this film goes. Um, anyway. It's uh yeah so it's, it was a long one act play as a play but now the screenplay is, was turned into an actual motion picture so so okay who's afraid of Virginia Woolf was originally done by um, Mike Nichols yeah okay correct mm-hmm. okay so just back in that time period that's what got you thinking about this film yeah okay yeah. Mm-hmm. well and my wife my wife is the arbiter of the films from this time period so <laughs> I see if I have the choice of what film is watched in our house it is a film uh, typically from like you know late 70s onward I got you uh, if she is picking the films it is something from 1969 and earlier gotcha so, yeah which That's is great because you're the whole Citizen Kane man yeah but and I mean look there are there are films I are my favorites from any decade sure as far as where I'm going to gravitate to it's typically not those decades. Gotcha. Um, although, yes, I'm sure 12 Angry Men, uh, Rear Window, uh, Psycho. Well, psych- yeah, all of those in the 50s and 60s and Citizen Kane and 39 or 40. Sure, those are some of my favorites of all time. But you give me a choice, say, Alan, you get to pick a movie tonight. It's typically going to be from the last 40, well, no, 50 years instead gotcha. of the 50 years beforehand. So. <laughs> Fair enough. So this is one she actually pulled up and we started watching. So I got to give her credit for getting me hooked on it. So cool. All right. Well, that's our recommendation. So we've got, uh, are you there? God is me, Margaret, which is a new film that, uh, is available online now for rental or watching. And then suddenly last summer from 1959, uh, a partial recommendation. We'll see how it ends up. All right, Chris. Well, if anybody needs, has their own suggestions of films, we ought to check out or wants to comment on the somewhere in Queens review. How do we? Uh, how do they get a hold of us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm, 
Al and I are both on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing, leave short reviews. Uh, do us a favor. If you like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on. It'll help us reach new listeners. Last but not least, the 2020 Foot Candle Film Festival will be September 15th through the 24th. So if you are in the Western North Carolina area, we will be holding it in Hickory, North Carolina, and we'd appreciate you stopping by to say hello. Yeah, that's right. We're looking forward to a great turn, uh, festival this year. So looking for some more information to come out about that here in the next month or so. But um, until then, until we either see you at the festival in September or until you tune back in next week for our next episode, uh, we will look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.